Awesome. Okay. So, um, you know, I just want to take a second to thank Emmy because, you know, guys like me, we're supposed to turn in our stuff the night before. So she has plenty of time to make it look beautiful up here. And honestly, I'm just not a night before guy some days. And uh, that way my slides actually match what I'm going to say. And so uh, I'm grateful for the flexibility. And, and I'm hoping that God will honor that and make this thing work for me today. So, uh, Amen. <clears throat> You know, I'm excited to be able to uh, to share with you from God's Word. Uh, it's exciting just to be together as a family. And I know that Mike is really encouraged to have his sister here, his dad here. And, uh, you know, I think God must be encouraged too because uh, you've got beautiful Vermont. You've got sunshine. You've got snow, but not in your face, messing up the roads. Um, you know, Mark Potter's here. We went out skiing yesterday. We really believe that God made that the best day of skiing possible uh, this year. You know, we're willing to try some more to check it out to see if maybe there was another better day. But, uh, you know, it was pretty awesome. So that was a lot of fun. You know, there was an article here recently in the Boston Globe magazine uh, that said the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, uh, it is loneliness. You know, the article went on to say, quoted the Surgeon General, who said uh, that many times in recent years, the prevalent health issue in this country is not cancer, not heart disease, not obesity, it's isolation. You know, that men, especially men, as we age, uh, we let our, fr- our close friendships, we let them fall apart, we let them lapse. Um, you know, it can cause all kinds of problems, has big impact on our health. And the author even, he said, you know, why did you pick me to write this silly article? And he started looking at his life. He said, well, you know, I'm 40 and, you know, my life is primarily made up of getting up and getting ready to go to work and then going to work and then being at work for a long period of time and working on that all day long and then going home from work and, and maybe somewhere in there I fit in a little time to work work out. You know, even they call that working out is work. Um, and, you know, if I'm a good father, you know, I'll go and take my son on Saturday morning for donuts and uh, or get some dad time with the kids, you know. And, uh, you know, and if I'm a good husband, I'll, I'll try and fit in some wife time in there. And then I have to get ready for work again. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and there's no time for friendships. You know, those epic friendship moments just sort of fall by the wayside. So sorry, young singles, professionals, to paint that grim picture of your 30s and 40s. But, uh, you know, the the author said, you know, his advice at the end is, you know, maybe what we ought to do is we ought to set up a time every week, maybe even on a Wednesday, where we just got together on a periodic basis. And I went, oh, wow, that's pretty awesome, you know. What a great idea to do that. You know, maybe we should try that. And, you know, and it made me think about my friendships, you know, and, and I'm really grateful for the ones I have. You know, I was thinking about it. The one that I've been friends with the longest is Jeanette. Now, the picture's small, so you won't pick on her, but uh, these are really early pictures in our marriage. Uh, uh, and that's when I look at her, that's what I see. You know, she's been my friend one of the longest, you know, so we've been married for almost 36 years. We've known each other 38 or 39 years. Um, and she uh, keeps coming back and telling me what I need to hear. She is a friend uh, that is, you know, way beyond. You know, when I was in college, I took a class on adolescent psychology. And, uh, you know, one of the things we studied in there is how teens build friendships. 
And I threw out to some of my friends recently that the, the, the uh, $10 word in there about what that is. I'm not going to tell you. You can look it up in the dictionary. Uh, but uh, what we learned is that the more you spend time together, that's how you build friends. Your friends are people you spend time with. You spend, you know, so if you want your kids to have good friendships, have them be with people a lot who you want them to build friendships. And if you want to not have them be friends, don't let them spend time with people who aren't good influences on it. It's very simple, but it also applies to grown-ups. You know, if we spend time with people that we want to be like, then we're going to become friends with them. You know, I thought about, I have some friendships like that. You know, here's a group of people. We had uh, one brother was a big fan of Braveheart. I know I'm old. That's an old movie now, but it didn't feel like it then. Back at that time, I was probably your age. You know, we did it. We, we had an epic memory. Didn't realize it was an epic memory at the time, but, you know, I still remember it, so it must be epic, at least in my mind. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it was allowed us to be able to uh, come together and be friends and have that time together. You know, there was another friendship I remember while I was thinking about this. You know, it's, it's coming up on my daughter's 24th birthday here the first week in April. So about this time, 24 years ago, Jeanette was very pregnant. You know, when you're, you know, I sort of, that's a layman's term. You know, that's a guy term for pregnant, very pregnant, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and I was not just stupid, I was very stupid because cause I was in Rochester, New York. We lived in Boston, Mass., uh, that's a long ways away, 500 miles if you're driving a while, not quite so far if you're flying. I'd taken a week off from work. Uh, I, I had a consulting gig out there so I could make some money to pay the bills. <clears throat> seemed like a good thing at the time. You know, seemed like it. I was flying back. There was no cell phones 24 years ago, not even for, for people that, you know, flew away and did stuff. I didn't have a cell phone. I don't think we barely had an answer machine on the phone. You know, I got home. I found out Jeanette had already gone to the hospital because she was in labor and needed to deliver. That's another thing that, you know, pregnant, very pregnant, deliver. I don't even know how that works, you know. But so I got there. And, uh, you know, when you go into like, you know, she was birthing and midwife and that kind of stuff. But when you get in the room and nobody is tense, it's all calm, you know, code word, you're too late, you know, you missed it. <laughs> and so I missed my first third daughter's, uh, my third child's delivery. But, you know, on that day, <clears throat> Peggy Malutnock, who was a good friend of ours, Dave and Peggy Malutnock, uh, she had volunteered to be Jeanette's birth coach and to be there with Jeanette during delivery. You know, <clears throat> she stood up in a place, I'll put a picture of Peggy up here, um, and isn't that cute? They have those, that funny hair from a long time ago. And, <laughs> and uh, just to prove that we really are old. And then here's a, a picture from Peggy in, uh, last summer uh, when we got to spend a little time with she and her son. You know, Pe- <clears throat> Peggy and David uh, will be my friends forever. Because when I, we were in need, they stepped in and they did something we couldn't do for ourselves. You know, I really believe in that saying that a friend in need is a friend indeed. You know, we, it's, you know, it will never change. You know, I, they'll be my friends forever because of that. You know, there was another time when uh, my son, you know, needed some adult supervision, but not from dad. You know, some friendship there. And uh, there was a young campus guy who stood in and helped him out and uh, made a real difference in his life. You know, took him fishing. You know, I don't know if they, they saw owls or not, but, uh, you know, there's a young raw meter there uh, with a young version of my son. <laughs> so I knew Rob back when he was uh, a mere infant, uh, nearly. And, uh, you know, he, he stood up and he helped out my family 
you know, when uh, because he loved he loved them, you know, and he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to invest in my children that way, but he did, you know, and because of that. He's going to be my friend for life, you know. He needs something, he's got it, you know. He made an investment there that had a long-term impact, you know. You know, I think about even just, you know, it's been almost four years ago we started coming to Burlington. And, you know, I started, you know, getting time with guys like Mike. You know, I rode my motorcycle up this day about three years ago, and we hung out down by the lake, and, uh, and it, was, uh, it was a little chilly that day. You know, we also, about that time, we got to uh, spend some time with a younger version of the Slaters. You know, they've, they've gotten three years older since then, and, you know, many others here, right? And so I have some older version pictures now. We've got some new pictures there with uh, Nicole and Yovani. You know, Mike now down sitting in the lawn chair in the backyard, uh, you know, with a nice relaxed look on his face. Looks like there's a lake back there, but no, there's really not, so I wish there was. And then uh, here at Jeanette's birthday party recently, you know, I just think about it, that I'm so blessed being in the kingdom. You know, that, uh, you know, we've begun building some deep friendships. We really look forward to building a lot more, uh, having those relationships. And I I don't take enough pictures because I try to be in the moment, not always be snapping selfies of myself with everybody. But, you know, if I could, I would put all your pictures up here because I feel like, you know, we have the beginnings of those lifetime relationships with each other uh, that we're building. You know, when I think about it, you know, I was talking with Jeanette. I've got a bucket you know, metaphor bucket. And in my bucket is the things that have happened in my life good. And, you know, there's the things that I've I've sinned in. And so those are experiences that I have, you know, and I'm really, and you all have your own bucket, right? you got a bucket of your stuff. And so in my bucket are things that I've done right and wrong. I'm happy to share my bucket with you anytime. You know, if you want to come dig through my bucket, try to figure out what I've done right and figure out how I did it, I will share that with you easily. You know, if you want to come through and dig through my sim bucket and see the things that I've done wrong, uh, you know, within reason, you're wanting to dig through that. I want to dig it all back up and share it with you. But I will if it helps you. You know, in the same way, you know, my house, my food, my time, I want you to, I want to share that with you. You're welcome to go to my house anytime. You know, I want you to come over. Now, Jeanette says some limits, you know, a little bit of advance notice and stuff. You know, I, I really want that. And I want to go into, I want to be at your house. I want invitations from all you guys to come to your house to eat, you know, to watch TV, you know, whatever you do, uh, go through your bucket, I don't know, but to get to spend that time together, you know, because, uh, and you may go, wait a minute, okay, I'm not quite ready, you know, for that kind of commitment. You know, maybe I'll come to your house and eat your food, but I don't know if I want you to come to my house. Um, well, that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> I really want to dig into the message, uh, and I've entitled it Friends for, for Life. And beyond. So I want to take a look at some friendships, specific friendships that Jesus had, and uh, see if we can't learn from them. So, so he had this great friendship with some folks named Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. You know, they were a couple sisters and a brother, you know, physical sisters and brother, uh, that lived in a place called Bethany. Now, Bethany is... You know, in modern lingo, it's a suburb. You know, we were we were talking about Winooski. You know, Mark said, "Was Winooski close to, to uh, Burlington? Well, about as close as you get. You know, across the bridge. You know, Bethany was sort of like it was two miles away. So I don't know, maybe that's Colchester, right? So you know, you're in you're in the Jerusalem of Vermont here in Burlington. Bethany is out in you know Williston or Winooski or somewhere, and that's where Jesus a lot of time had to stay. 
you know, because you, especially when he come into town during Passover and it's just packed out and there's no room and he has to go over to Bethany to stay. And so uh, he was always, uh, you know, checking that out and being there. And so let's see, I got something else here. Okay, so I want to read a couple of scriptures here because, you know, I like to jump to the end of the story. So let's read the end of the story first and then we'll see if we can figure out why we want to even think about these guys. You know, so it says here that... Uh, uh, six days before Passover, Jesus arrived in, at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Well, that's a minor point. Am I on the right side? Yes, okay, good. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary looked around, took a pipe of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped uh, his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Six days before Passover. Okay, let's timeline this. So, Passover, that's like when Jesus gets crucified, right? So, six days before the big event. Now, maybe nobody else knew it. Jesus knew it. He knew it was coming, and he was expecting it. And so, he's in Bethany, you know, and so he's at. Martha's house, because she's serving, so you normally serve people who serve at your house. So she's at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. You know, Lazarus, you know, he doesn't say anything in this story. So we're not going to ever hear Lazarus say anything. So we don't know anything about what he was thinking, but he was reclining at the table with Jesus, which uh, seemed pretty cool, you know, especially a little minor thing. You know, he got raised from the dead. How many of your friends have been raised from the dead? I've been raised from the dead, you know. This is my buddy Jesus. He's hanging out in my house before before he gets raised from the dead. Isn't there a little bit of a foreshadowing there? Raised from the dead, raised from the dead, you know. And then you have, uh, you know, uh, it's packed. Like I said, there's people coming in for the Passover. People came from all over the place. They filled Jerusalem. You know, they are, you know, they are thinking about killing Jesus because the the the, uh, the head priest said, you know what, we're going to kill Jesus, and well, maybe we're going to kill this Lazarus guy too. Um, you know, so that uh, it might be a little bit risky there being at a Lazarus house, right? You know, and and so uh, you have. Um, have Mary there taking the most expensive perfume. And, you know, she's not taking that oil. She's not putting it on his head. You normally anoint people with oil. At least what they did in the Bible. You know, I don't really... Do any of you guys do that? Maybe it's the original form of essential oil therapy, right? They put it on their head, you know. And some people think that this nard... They don't even really know what the, the Greek word means. It's a little bit of argument. You know, maybe it means pistachio. You know, they, they don't really know exactly what, that, what it was. But it's expensive, and she uh, she takes a very humble position. She she washes his feet with her hair. You know, Jewish women they never took their hair down. You know, it was considered inappropriate for a Jewish woman to have her hair down. And yet, Mary's at this point where she's just so you know she's realizing what's going on here, and she is just so desiring of honoring Jesus that she makes her a show of love, very extravagant. She takes his hair, she washes his feet. You know, some people, the early church fathers believe that, you know, her, her sacrifice, you know, this fragrant offering was really just all had a second meaning that this story, this example was going to spread throughout the church. That her her concern for Jesus, her serving of him, this fragrant offering was going to have an impact. You know, and it goes on in, in John 12, you know, John 12, 9 through 11, which um, I, don't, I don't think I have a slide for that. Oh, I do. There it is. Thanks. So, uh, you know, so, G, so he tells us that the, the Jews came out to see J- Jesus 
and Lazarus. And the chief priests planned to kill him. And Lazarus, because so many of the Jews were going over to Jesus putting their faith in, in Jesus. Can you imagine that? You got raised from the dead. You were sick. I'm sick. I died of whatever it was. I get raised from the dead. A few days later, I'm reclining with Jesus. And because of that, they decide they're going to kill me. Really? Kill me? Come on, you know. I'm already dead. I've already been dead. You know, come on. I know what it's all about. You know, and the crowd, you know, in, in verse 17, they had witnessed the miracle. Uh, they, they, when you saw this kind of miracle, you went out and you actively shared about what you saw. You know, to the point where the Pharisees went, oh my goodness, the whole world is going over to Jesus. Now, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be cool to be in Burlington and feel like the whole world was going over to Jesus? Yes. You know, every way you went, they go, no, oh, Jesus. Oh my, I mean, not, not in a bad way, like it sounded like, but Jesus, you know, we're going after him. You know, and Lazarus, you know, he's, he's really, he's the, he's the, cru- the crucial point. You know, you could sort of think it's almost his fault. At this point, they go, you know, typically the Pharisees are going, kill Jesus, not kill Jesus. This whole Lazarus thing, this, this pushed it over the edge. This made them decide that they were going to crucify Jesus. This is a turning point in what the Pharisees were going to do to sacrifice the Son of God. Lazarus' life was a turning point. Dying and getting raised again made it so that it's actually interesting. He didn't go out into the Old Covenant. He goes out into the New Covenant. He gets to go out as a disciple of Jesus, the risen Lord, instead of going out as not a disciple of the risen Lord, right? It changed his place in history, his place in time. But let's go back. But now let's back up and, and talk about the story. Okay, so I'm going to start in Luke 10. I'm not going to show you scriptures anymore. I've got like a summary page here. And so, um, you know, just to help us, I'm going to throw up those endpoints because you've already read those about the party at the Passover. So they're there for us. But look over in Luke 10, verse 38. You know, and I'll read it to you if, if you can't get there. This is, where, this is where the story begins. You know, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that it had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be not, take, it will not be taken away from her. You know, you remember, maybe you remember, when, when Jesus sent out the 72, he said, You know what? Go find a worthy person in town and stay at their house. He told them that. If you don't remember, that's what he did. And that's what Jesus was doing. He went into town, he found a worthy person, Martha. I'm just, guys, come in and stay at your house. You know, and it, if you think about it, it just wasn't Jesus and a suitcase, you know. It was Jesus and the dozen or so disciples and, you know, and whoever else came along with them and, you know, whatever they brought. You know, obviously Jesus had the money bag, but maybe there's other stuff they brought along as provision. So getting Jesus over meant you got a dozen or so people move into the house. Hmm, you know, that's a cost to count. And they didn't have big houses like we do. They got little houses, you know. Well, you know, maybe they all stayed down in the manger in the barn. But, you know, so they all moved in with them, you know. And, uh, you know, we've heard this passage maybe before. You know, Mary chose the better thing. You know, Martha was distracted, you know. And, and that's true, you know. But, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for Martha, Jesus would never got invited in. You know, Jesus would have never come into the house. It was Martha that said, come on, oh, so I guess I should use that. Open her home. And Mary is the one that sat at the feet of Jesus. 
And uh, Martha was worried, upset, complained to Jesus. You know, we know that Mary chose the better thing. You know, so that's sort of the, the setup. They met them. They stayed there, you know, <clears throat> got to learn about Jesus in their home. You know, talk about having a Bible study. Today's Bible study in the house is Jesus leading it. You know, and, and all the other disciples here, if you want to think what Peter thinks or John thinks, they're there, you know, and there is Mary. She's like, this is awesome. You know, this is great. I'm here. You know, I'm definitely hanging on to this. You know, so, so that's sort of the setup for it. Now, now we'll jump ahead a little bit to John uh, chapter 11. Now, when we get to John 11. You know, it's, uh, it is, uh, at this time, Jesus is not in town. Best case, people think he was down uh, where, John, where uh, John the Baptist was baptized by the Jordan River. Maybe a day away. They're not really certain where that was. A couple places it could be. Maybe a day away, maybe two days away. And let's start reading now in John 11, verse 1. Now, a man, Lazarus, was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Mary uh, and her sister and Lazarus. So he asked for help. They both asked for help. And we know that Jesus loved them both, right? And so it says, Then he said to his disciple, Oh, sorry, Lazarus. Yet then he heard that Lazarus was sick. When he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. How would you feel about that? I'm really sick. I'm dying. You know, can I come help? Yeah, a couple days. Imagine, you know, we get upset. We go to the doctor. He won't see us in ten minutes, you know. Give us some kind of drug. Send us home. Make us healthy. Um, you sure I don't need an MRI? <coughs> I'm coughing a lot. You know, <coughs> no. Just uh, a couple more days will be fine. And so he said, then he said, so I guess this was a couple more days later, you know, let's go back to Judea. They go, but Rabbi, they said a short while ago that Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? The man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. <clears throat> After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Three-day walk to wake somebody up, right? Or two days, whatever it was. <clears throat> and the disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. They were like me. They were sharp. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, what's his nickname we call him? Doubting Thomas, now we call him otherwise. Yeah, he said, he said to the rest of the disciples, let's go also that we may die with him. And that's the brother positive, right? We're all going to die. You know, and, and truth is, you know, at this time, the only one who was going to die is Jesus. And Jesus knew that, right? On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been there, had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Okay, so we got... So the Jews came out from Jerusalem. They walked the two miles to uh, Bethany to comfort 
uh, both Martha and Mary. And uh, just a little bit more of that. And so Martha now, so Martha first goes out. So she's first. Interesting, right? She's the one of action, right? So she'd invite him in. She knows he's coming to town. She goes out to talk to him first. That was interesting. But Martha stayed, but Mary stayed home. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Oops, already got that. So, so, so she said that. I lost my place. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So the Jews believed that there, at the time there would be a resurrection of the last day. Well, you know, if you're a Pharisee, you believe that. If you're a Sadducee, you didn't believe that. But <clears throat> that's a different class. You know, <clears throat> Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? <clears throat> yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. And I like this. So, so, so Martha, you know, she's the one that is worried about keeping things together, having the food ready, you know. And so when she comes to Jesus, she comes, you know, with a rational approach. You know, you're supposed to be here. He's dead. What's up? You know, I know you can fix it, but come on, fix it, right? And he says, he says, well, you know that, that there's going to be a resurrection. And he's like, okay, you know, I believe that you're the Christ. So rational question, rational response from both Jesus and from Martha. Interesting. And so now we keep on. He says, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Now, you know, there's like a 30-day mourning period. People come up, there's crying. It's intense to be at a funeral, a Jewish funeral at this time. So there's a lot of intense things going on. It probably got more intense when Martha left because she's the one that kept everything organized. But she comes back now and she says, uh, she tells Mary, the teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village but was still at the place where Martha had met him. <clears throat> when, Jews had, when the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, What did she say? Stay on first. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Well, they thought alike. They said the same thing. You know, and then, it continues here, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping. So she was weeping when she saw that. So she didn't come with a rational heads up. Here's what I see. What do you say, Jesus? She came, you know, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. She's crying. <clears throat> she's emotional. It's had an impact on her. Remember, she's the one that washed his feet. You know, later on, we sort of got to, you know, we saw the end of the story. She's the emotional one. <clears throat> she, and how does Jesus respond? Let's see, where do we go? He wept. Oh, wait. Oh, and the Jews, I'm sorry, verse 33. The Jews who had come along with her also weeping, because they were weeping, right? Uh, maybe not quite the same way. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus just broke down and he wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. <clears throat> so it's a different response. Mary comes now weeping in sorrow for the loss of her brother Lazarus. Jesus responds by weeping. Interesting. Jesus can respond. You know, if you're the analytical one, the rational one, the logical one, you know, Jesus can react to you. 
Jesus can connect with that. Jesus is a friend of that person. Jesus loves that person. But if you're the emotional, weeping, crying, torn up by this person, you know what Jesus can do? He can weep with you. He can be there with you. He can feel you. You know, this is more than just the shortest verse in the Bible, in case you were looking for a trivia question. This really is Jesus' ability to respond as a friend. These are his friends. These are people that he'd lived with. These are people that he brought his entourage in with. And these are people that he had, because of God's will, had to say, you know what? We've got to wait. We've got to let Lazarus die so that God can be glorified. And that hurts, knowing that that happened. And he wept about it. But then, verse 37, the Jews who were with him said, But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? These are not his friends. (laughs) He didn't answer their question. Friends, not friends. You know, I'm not answering that question. Verse 38, Jesus once, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. All right. It's a great stone on the page. The Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. That is a weeping, logical response. We open that tomb, it's going to stink. And uh, so Jesus still said, uh, she had a response for her. He said, then Jesus said, did I, not, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So he's calling her back, very similar to how he called her back back in Luke, right? And so they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you've sent me. Interesting conversation. You know, God, you know, I know you hear me, but I'm just saying this so everybody else can hear that I believe this. Um, when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus. Do you know what Lazarus means? Lazarus means one that God helps. You know, if you want somebody to help you, getting raised from the dead is a big one, right? You know, and so that's his name, one that God's helped. And so Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with scraps of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take the gray gray clothes off and let him go. Therefore, well, grave clothes. Imagine, didn't even call him the dead man came out, dead man walking, or you know, you know. I think of you know, if you're into the what is it the uh, what do they call those movies now? The Walking Dead. Uh, not my thing, but uh, I, that's what it sort of be like. You know, come walking out of the tombs. You know, this wasn't a zombie apocalypse. He actually was brought back to life. He was a real living person after that. Um, and so it goes on, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But Jesus came out. We're here just to console you, Mary. Um, you know, we're just Jews. And they saw this and they went, oh, we've never seen anything like that. Who's this Jesus guy? And they came to their faith in Jesus. But some of them, a few of them, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests of the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away both our place and our nation. Oh, man. And then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. 
He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. He's just trying to make good on his promise, right? I prophesied that Jesus died. We're going to make him die. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So this really was the event that led to the the, uh, Sanhedrin of the Jews deciding that they were going to sacrifice Jesus. So we learned a little bit about friendship, right? And the friendship that Jesus had with these sort of unusual suspects, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus never said a word, but he hung with Jesus longer than any of you and I did, right? He was was reclining with them. So I've got two points, and I want to hit my two points now. So number one, and I rewrote this because Jeanette gave me some feedback. I just didn't get a time to change the slide. My, uh, and that really should be God has his own plan. Not shorter. God has, that's point number one. So Mary and Martha, you know what did they want? They wanted Jesus to keep their brother from dying. Have you ever prayed that someone would recover from the illness? That they wouldn't die? You know, and you prayed it wholeheartedly and sincerely and it still happened. And you go, does God really listen to my prayers? You know, is this fair? Is this right? You know, what's up, God? You know, but then on the other side of the story, there's the disciples who were with him, you know, down by the Jordan River, nice and safe, a couple of days away from the Passover thing where they were striving to kill Jesus. And they wanted him to stay away from Jerusalem so that he wouldn't die. Because they spent three years with this guy. He was their Messiah. And he was setting up a thing where he was going to go and get crucified. And so they were hoping, praying. Their desire was that Jesus would not die. And yet he didn't do that. He went up and he died. And so things didn't work out the way they planned either. They weren't very fired up about this. You know, only Jesus knew that God was going to get glorified both by Lazarus being raised from the dead uh, and that he himself was going to be crucified and raised from the dead. You know, he knew that raising Lazarus was going to be the final straw for the Pharisees. You know, and so God had a different plan in mind. You know, when he says there in, in, in verse 9, we read earlier that, Aren't there not twelve hours of daylight? man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's lights. When he walks by night, that he stumbles, for he has no light. Well, I don't know if you've read much of what John wrote. He wrote some neat stuff in 1 John chapter 1. I'll just remind you, he says, If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. You know, he's talking about walking in the light. Aren't there 12 hours of daylight? Can't you walk in the light and not in the darkness? You know, there's a precursor. John twisted around a little bit later. But it's the idea, you know, God has a plan for us. We don't really know what it is. We just sort of have to walk ahead in the light. We follow him. We fellowship with one another. When we sin, we confess it. We repent of it. Jesus' blood cleanses us. And we keep going on that plan, on that path. We don't really know where it's going to take us. There's a lot of things in our lives we don't know. When you have a child, you know, like Monique and Euro will soon, they're, they're expecting, right? And it's not a surprise to anybody. <clears throat> or the other young children, like James and others here, we have little kids. We have no idea what they're going to be like at 13, 21, <clears throat> 31, 60, and beyond, right? <clears throat> we don't know. But we're taking a, taking a chance. 
We're giving it to God. We're going to walk that path. We're going to raise a child because we know that God really will allow that to be awesome. We just don't know what awesome looks like, right? And so many other things in our life, whether it's getting married, whether it's trying to be the best husband or wife that we can be, the best friend to somebody, we just don't know. We walk a path. We trust God. We walk in the light. You know, but what if God's plan is different for you than your plan? You know, what if God wants you to do... Do, what does God want you to do that you need to spend more time, energy, focus doing? You know, maybe God wants you to be building friendships with people that change lives. Back to my story at the beginning, right? You know, changing your own life, changing other disciples' lives, you know, helping those lost people around you. Maybe, you know, like in my life, you could be a Peggy Mlutnop, who is my friend forever, Jeanette's friend forever. She stood up. I mean, come on, how long does it take to have a baby? You know, an hour or so, that's what I missed, right? So standing in for an hour in a time of need makes you a friend for life. You know, you can be that pillar for somebody if you decide to, uh, and I'll throw out the, 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 the sixth big word is propinquity. If you decide to be there with somebody, to be their friend, you can make a difference in their entire life of that person. You know, maybe it's building a relationship with Jesus like Mary has. So back when having a relationship with Jesus where she longed to be at Jesus' feet learning from him. She wept at the loss of her brother with Jesus. She was so risky, extravagant in her love and appreciation for Jesus that she took her hair down. She took a very expensive thing of some flavor of perfume, maybe pistachio, and washed Jesus' feet. You know... That's wild worship. You know, we've seen nothing like that in our worship service. Maybe you're doing that at home. Uh, I haven't seen it here. It's challenging to me to think, can I worship God in such an extravagant, risky, committed way that is, you know, that will end up being an example for the church 2,000 years later? You know, you know, maybe you're like Lazarus. I was sick. I died. Jesus saved me. That was awesome. And now people want to kill me. You know, why are people trying to hurt me? Why don't my prayers get answered? Why can't the story play out the way I feel it should? You know, because God's looking to glorify himself. You know, he wants to do it in my life. Uh, You know, this is just one of many lessons in the Bible pointing back to that. Amen. So, point number two, friendships are worth it. You know, Martha invited Jesus into her home. Come on over, have some food. You're the Messiah. Well, I don't know if he was even saying that, right? You're just preaching repentance, preaching the kingdom, something, you know. Came over. Um, you know, they uh, because they did that, when Lazarus was sick, who could they call on? A friend. They had a friend who they could reach out to and help. You know, if you think about, if you remember Matthew 25, sheep and the goats. Remember the difference between the sheep and the goats? They couldn't. They didn't know for sure. Did we ever help you, Jesus? Well, anytime you helped somebody, fed them, clothed them, visited them in prison, that would count as a time of need. You were doing that for me. When you take the time to go help somebody and meet those needs, then you are serving the Lord. You know, we can't let all the things to get in the way of us helping each other, helping people in need around us, helping our family. We can't let, whatever those distractions are, we can't let those get in the way. That is what Jesus wants us to do. 
You know, you know, Mary, she wept with Jesus. She had emotions she may never expected. She spent she spent her wealth a year. You know, I don't know what I don't know what pistachio nard costs, but they said it was expensive. Um, she she was willing to spend that in service to the Lord. You know, and, and as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Lazarus. He got to be awake when Jesus came in the triumphal entry, right? He got to see them, you know, Jesus, the Messiah, coming into Jerusalem. He got to see the Messiah, the new covenant, happen at the cross. He got to see, I believe anyways, Jesus raised from the dead. He would have missed that if he'd been dead. He got a relationship that he had never expected. You know, and I think it was an extra... Icing on the cake, whipped cream on the whatever, sprinkles on the donut. You know, in Luke 24 and verse 50, it just reminds us that when Jesus ascends into heaven, it happens where? Bethany. You know, Minuski, right? You know, it wasn't, you know, or Colchester. It wasn't in downtown Burlington. You know, if you've been down here waiting for it, you would have missed it. What's who lives there? You know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You know, I don't assign any significance to that, but it was cool. You know, you could sit in your backyard and watch Jesus ascend into heaven, you know. Maybe they all came back for a party after that to celebrate their Lord and their friend, right? So I want you to think as we close out here about your relationship with God. You know, am I living as a friend of Jesus? You know, am I willing to give up my, my riches, my time, my, my things to be friends with Jesus? You know, am I living the life of a disciple? Am I, would I be mistaken for a disciple, a student of Jesus? <clears throat> you know, is there something that I need to repent of today? And I challenge you that. If there's something that's blocking you from being a friend of Jesus, deal with it today. <clears throat> you know, am I being a friend to the people around me like Jesus was to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? <clears throat> am I meeting their needs so that God can be glorified? Like I said, make a decision today about how you're going to walk closer to Jesus. I love you.